this morning, I, I am going to, I'm going to take a little detour, a uh, little pit, pit stop, really. And uh, what I'm going to be talking about is don't shrink back. Okay, so uh, God spoke to me about uh, he- Hebrews 10. So that's the first hint. So if you want to read that in the scriptures, we're going to look at Hebrews 10. And uh, what, I, what I was saying to God in my prayers in preparation for that, for, the, for this uh, sermon is... I was saying to God, God, I want to bless the women in our church, and uh, I want to humble the men, right? But after what Fiona brought this morning, I think uh, what God is saying to me this morning is say, Jamie, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless everybody in the church, and I'm going to humble everybody in the church. And I was like, okay, we'll do that. We'll do your plan. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, we're going to do Hebrews 10, and we're going we're gonna to start at um, verse 19, <clears throat> the full ass- assurance of faith. And I'm going to read this to you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest, a great priest over the the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope within, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more... How much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sacrificed and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, 
since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. That's what my sermon is all about this morning, is don't shrink back, because that's who we are. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So I wanted to start off um, by talking about um, some Christian women. Uh, so in preparation for this sermon, I, I got a book uh, written by Eric Metaxas. And the reason I, I bought his book is because uh, not that long ago, I read the biography of Bonhoeffer. <coughs> And that was written by Eric Metaxas as well. <coughs> and uh, recently, he released a book which was called uh, Seven Christian Women and the Secret of Their Greatness. And I just wanted to bring just uh, two of them this morning. And one of them is Rosa Parks, um, <coughs> a seat on the bus. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read a little bit from the book to you and talk about Rosa Parks. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> On the cold evening of December 1st, 1955, Rosa, who had been taught from childhood to love her enemies but to not take any guff from them, put, uh, put away her work. She was tired after long hours of sewing, ironing, and steam pressing. Rosa walked to the bus stop one block away. Because it was just after five, there was a huge crowd waiting for the bus, so Rosa decided not to get on the bus. Rosa did not decide to get on that bus. She waited for the next one. Um, hang on. Rosa did not notice when the next bus arrived as she stepped onto it that the bus driver that was there was James F. Flake. Now, not a lot of people know this, but um, Rosa actually had an interaction with James F. Blake uh, several years beforehand, actually 12 years beforehand, where she was actually thrown off that bus, <coughs> and she'd vowed never to get on a bus that he was driving. So she stepped onto this bus, and it's only when she stepped onto this bus that she realized that it was James F. Blake who was driving. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was 12 years that she, he had put her off the bus before. This time, however, the tired seamstress and the bigoted bus driver were about to make history. Finding a vacant seat in the middle section of the bus behind the sign reading colored, Rosa tiredly sat down. Three other blacks, three other blacks were also seated in that row in front. In front of Rosa were several whites-only seats. 
Blake stepped onto the gas and the bus trundled on down the street. After two more stops, the white passengers filled most of the seats in the front section. At the third stop, um, in front of the Empire Theatre, the last whites-only seats were occupied and one white man was left standing. Blake swiveled around and stared at Rosa. Let me have those front seats, he ordered. According to the law, no black person could sit in the same row as a white person, meaning all four blacks in the row that Rosa occupied would have to move to accommodate one white man. Silence met the driver's command. Nobody moved. Angered, Blake tried again. You're all... um, I'm doing my accent there. You all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats, he warned. The two women sitting across the aisle from Rosa and the man sitting next to her got up and moved to the back of the bus. But Rosa was not about to move. Instead, she simply slid over to the window seat and stared out at the Empire Theatre marquee, which announced that this week's film, A Man Alone, starring Ray Millard, a western about a man who faces down a village for a crime he did not commit. Blake saw that one of the four had ignored his demand and he was not going to let one small black woman make a fool of him. He got out of his seat and began walking down the aisle towards Rosa. Rosa said, Rosa said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But that wasn't true. I was not tired physically or any more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. No. The only tired I was was the tired of giving in. Blake was now standing over Rosa. Are you going to stand up? He asked urgently. Rosa looked him straight in the eye and with great dignity responded, no. Well, I'm going to have to have you arrested. And she said, you may do that. Rosa replied, waiting for the police to arrive, many nervous passengers got off of the bus, not wanting to be involved in whatever was going to happen next. <clears throat> Rosa was nervous herself. She wasn't thinking about being the mother of civil rights movement in America, which she, of course, was. She was wondering if the police would beat her up as well as arrest her. Rosa Parks did not shrink back. This is what I'm talking about today. So let's get something straight first of all. If we go to the next slide, please. The finished work of Christ. Christ has done it. What we're talking about here is that when a sinner trusts Christ, his sins are all forgiven. The guilt is gone, and the matter is completely settled forever. Only the death of Christ could tear the veil and let us draw near. What I'm talking about this morning is about cleansing is about covering and cleansing. So we are covered 
by the blood of Christ. So sometimes we need to come to him for cleansing and restoration. What it, what it said in Hebrews is if, the, if we willfully continue to sin in the same sin, our attitude towards our repeated disobedience needs to change. Our sins are covered, but we need to be cleansed and restored. It is a fear, um, is a fearful thing to fall into the hands, into the Lord's hand for chastening. But it is a wonderful thing to fall into his hands for cleansing and restoration. We have an opportunity for that this morning when we come to the bread and wine. We mustn't uh, cheapen the blood of Christ. And that's what was said in Hebrews. You know, if we continue to sin, there is something deeper that needs to be changed. If we continue in the same disobedience time and time again, we mustn't cheapen blood of Christ. A believer who does not walk by faith goes back into old ways and wastes his life. We need to stand firm. Do not shrink back. Receive the cleansing restoration. We need to come to God with a pure heart and a clean conscience. So the next slide um, I want to tell you a little bit of a story of, of things that I've been doing at work recently. So uh, this uh, is a building that is going to be built in Christchurch. So many of you know that I work at the Arts University in Bournemouth, and I work for the Interior Architecture Department. And uh, we had an opportunity recently to do a project that was actually a live project, uh, which is great. Um, the... One of the difficult situations is that the current students that we're working with are first-year students, but they are quite you know, apprehensive already. And uh, the live project that we had an opportunity to work on is a very serious project, and it is a very big project. So this building here is uh, the new Macmillan uh, Caring uh, in the Community building that they're hoping to build in Christchurch. So you may be aware of um, the hospital in Christchurch. Uh, this building is going to be built there and will eventually replace their current uh, Macmillan Centre there, which is fantastic. This building is going to cost five million and they're raising loads of funds. Sorry, this building is going to cost 10 million. They've raised over five million already, which is wonderful. Um, now, <coughs> obviously, this is a very serious subject and it's quite heavy for first years at degree level to uh, talk about the issues that are affecting local people, people um, who are suffering with cancer. And um, so it's, it's a big subject. And we, um, the students are doing lots of research to understand the best way of designing a space that's gonna support the work that goes on there. And if you take a look at the next slide, uh, many of the students, they go out and they have a job to do. They have to find a president. It's an example um, of something that's gone on in the past, uh, architecturally, that they can use elements of in their project work. What you're seeing on here are um, pictures 
of Maggie Centres. Has anybody heard of Maggie Centres? No? Okay, so, um, so Maggie Centres are a network of drop-in centres across the United Kingdom, and there's one in Hong Kong now, which aim to help anyone who's been affected by cancer. They are not intended as a replacement for conventional cancer therapy, but as a caring environment that can provide support, information, and practical advice. They are located near, but are detached from existing NHS hospitals. And that's very similar to the thing that Macmillan are doing in Christchurch. Now, um, this Scottish registered charity uh, was founded by Maggie Keswick Jenks. Maggie, uh, she was diagnosed uh, with cancer um, in 1993, I think. And uh, that was quite a blow. Um, she, she actually died in 1995, but she was a architect, designer, uh, well, garden designer. She lived with advanced cancer for two years, and during that time, she used her knowledge and experience to create a blueprint for a new type of care. Maggie centers are built around the belief that people should not lose the joy of living for the fear of dying. And I felt that as these students, as my students are challenged to uh, investigate and work with these sort of subjects, uh, that it was amazing to find someone also who did not shrink back, who then chose to use their gifts and talents to do something powerful. Um, to support and care for other people. So these buildings are amazing. A lot of people, a lot of famous architects have got hold of the idea, and what you see at the top right is Zaha Hadid's Maggie Center, and the one at the top left is Frank Gehry. These are you know, uh, great architects who have done stuff, and we got drawings. Now, my students, they, they find these things, and they're inspired. You know, how can we use these ideas and also as part of their experience they've gone to Bournemouth Hospital and they've met with the chief architects who are arranging all of the changes to the hospital across Bournemouth, Poole and Christchurch and they've met nurses and the directors and stuff and it's been a real eye-opener for us as staff but also uh, for those students and one thing in particular I want you to look at the next slide which is a hummingbird so uh, the students got to speak to the director of this building uh, that will be built. There's a current building, but it's not fit for purpose anymore. The director of the Macmillan Center in Christchurch. And she told the students a story. And the students were doing presentations because I couldn't go uh, with them to see uh, this person. But uh, the students presented these things to me. And I was really taken uh, by this particular story. So... Um, the director of Macmillan, she told a story which the staff at Macmillan uh, hold very dear. And it's the story of the hummingbird. So it's a very simple story. You might have heard this story. You might have seen it online. There's a YouTube animation, uh, but it's great. So the story of the hummingbird goes like this. There's a huge forest fire. The animals are all overwhelmed. The hummingbird thinks I must do something. The hummingbird flies to collect water and the hummingbird takes one drop at a time and drops it on this huge fire. 
the other animals, like the elephant, who could carry large amounts of water, they're too scared to move. And they say to the hummingbird, you are too little. The fire is too big. You can't make a difference. As the other animals continued to discourage the hummingbird without wasting any time, the hummingbird replies, I am doing the best that I can. The staff at Macmillan Caring Locally in Christchurch know that the fire is great, but they don't shrink back like the hummingbirds. And I know, I know that we've got hummingbirds here today in this church. So God asked me a question yesterday, which is, you know, it's funny. He said to me, um, what is it like to love the way a mother loves? I think we all know a little bit of what that's like. You know, maybe it's to carry a life the pain of childbirth, to love you when you're hard to love. You know, I think a mother's love helps us to have a fuller understanding of the way that God loves us. I've been very blessed. I know as I prepared for this sermon, I can cite lots of times where I've experienced that. I thank you, mum, for loving me the way that a mother loves you know, my mum was loved by her mum. I was very fortunate that I got to know both my granny and my grandma and to experience that love as well. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough when these people are gone, but the love remains. The love carries on. And now I see the way a mother loves in my wife, who is passionate, who trusts in the Lord, who can be fierce. This is how a mother loves. I think on behalf of all the men here, I think we all agree that we are humbled by the way that you women, the, the way you have loved like a mother But I think uh, on the next slide, it says, if it's true love, it's going to hurt. And I, th I thought, as I was talking to God, and I said, I can't just say that. <laughs> and he said, well, get him to ask me. So this morning, if you're not sure if it's true, if it's true, if it's true love, it's going to hurt. If you're not sure, ask him now. If it's true love, it's going to hurt. You know, there's, there are hummingbirds here this morning. I want to, you know, as I was praying for this morning, I, God put, put two people on my heart, you know, just as Fiona has spoken and encouraged. I, I want to encourage Judith. I want to encourage you because the Lord, the Lord sees you and you're a hummingbird. And he can see the light that is shining from you. What he spoke to me this morning is that he's going to brighten your light so bright it's going to burn into people's hearts. 
they're not going to be able to forget that. I thank you, Father, for Judith. And also, Dot, Lord said to me, you're a hummingbird. And what he's doing with Judith is he said, people are going to know my joy through Dot. I want you to hold on to that. Thank you, Father, for Dot. Yeah. So, I want to tell you um, one last story, really, um, which I have been amazed because the last, the last woman in this book that I've been reading is, is Mother Teresa, which is like, the, well, that's, that's obvious, right? Mother Teresa, she never had children, but she had so many children, right? Mother Teresa, and incredible stories. I mean, it's a... There's a bigger section on Mother Teresa in this book than, than the others. There's great women in there. There's Joan of Arc. There's Rosa Parks. There's Corey Ten Boom, right? But it finishes with Mother Teresa, and it really has uh, impacted me, what I read. You know, and also, one of the reasons that I can get really impacted by what was written about Mother Teresa is because there's, there's lots of stuff out there, and also... You can go online and you can watch Mother Teresa talks. You can go online and you can see her do a speech at the White House in front of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and to talk about abortion. And you can see those guys shrink back when, yeah. And you can see her talk when she received the Nobel Peace Prize. What has been quite shocking to me, though, is what you see online when you try and look for these videos. Because there's a lot of hate out there. There's a lot of cruelty. We all know about trolls, right? Before about 30 years ago, if I said, what's a troll? You say, well, that's the one under the bridge. You know, with the, I particularly like the story with the billy, billy goats, yeah? That's the troll under the bridge. Well, we all know about trolls now. They're all over the, all over the internet. And it's really hard. Uh, not to be confronted with all sorts of bitter, twisted things out there. But if you can avoid those things, you can find these videos. And it is very humbling. Um, one of the things that, that's clear about Mother Teresa is that she was personally called. She had a vision within a vision. And she was called uh, to be a nun. Uh, to go to Calcutta and to provide a home, provi provide a space for people who were dying, people that had been forgotten, people who were unwanted. And she gave up everything she had. She had no money. She decided that she would live as the poor live. She, um, she washed her clothes with the same bar of soap that she washed her body. And she brushed her teeth every day with ashes. I don't think that you're being called to do the same thing, but she is certainly an inspiration. And one of the, one of the little stories that she tells at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony um, is this. It's the story of a little girl it's the story of a little girl that Mother Teresa brought in from the street. Mother Teresa brought this little girl in. She could see 
that she was hungry, and God knows how many days she had not eaten. Mother Teresa gave the girl a piece of bread, and the little girl started to eat that bread. And she ate that bread crumb by crumb, tiny little crumb by crumb. Mother Teresa said to her, eat the bread, eat the bread. But the little girl said, I'm afraid to eat the bread because I'm afraid that when I eat the bread and the bread is gone, that I will be hungry again. I wanted to use this this morning because we are doing the bread and wine. And also because of Hebrews, as we look back at that scripture, if we don't come for cleansing, if we don't come into God's hands for that restoration, then we will go back to things that we're not supposed to go back to. We have been transformed. We are covered by the blood of Christ. And we must not go back to those things of the past. We must not shrink back. This is the reality. Maybe you are not hungry for a piece of bread. Maybe you feel forgotten or unwanted. I think we can do something about that today. We're going to break bread. We're going to do things a little bit differently because I've asked for some incredible mothers to administer the bread to us this morning. We've got three different stations. I'm, gonna, I'm asking my mum and Jane Forsyth. I'm asking Sue and Penny. I'm asking Alison. Jackie, and these guys are going to, um, they're going to serve the bread and the wine to us as we come up. You don't have to come up individually. You can come up in groups, that's fine. But as you take that bread and wine, come into the hands of God, be cleansed, receive. We want to remember the finished work of Christ. We need to know who we are in Jesus. We're not victims of circumstance, sinning again and again, coming back to disobedience again and again. We need to live as redeemed people. As it says in Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The, word trans- the translation of the Greek word of destroyed is apolia, and you could use the word waste. And that might be more appropriate this morning as we think about the cleansing which God has for us. We are not those who shrink back and waste their lives. We are those who have faith and, pers- and preserve their souls. Amen? Amen. So 